Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. My name is Shaf. Nice to meet you, who I haven't met. I just want to start off rip and say I love Ryan Adams. Just going to say it. I want everyone to know it. I, I, the bromance is real and strong. We're going on three years soon. Um, we're going to celebrate. It's going to be a big deal. Um, but yeah, we've been good friends now, and he's been such a vital person in my life. And I'm so excited that he was willing to take a chance on me. I told him that. I slid into his DMs, and I asked him for coffee. Yep. And uh, he was just weird enough to say okay, which was nice to have your weirdness reciprocated. All the weird people say amen. Um, glad we're in the right spot. Um, so, you know, I invited him out to coffee. We met, and now I just can't get rid of him, you know, and uh, my wife was even reminding us, uh, reminding me yesterday, we were kind of just kind of talking, doing, doing what spouses do. You know, I was doing a puzzle. She was watching me be weird, um, but as we we're kind of just discussing some stuff, I was, I was just like, man, I really love Ryan, just thinking about you guys this morning, and I say all that because I want to not qualify myself, but I do want to say that as weird as this may sound, I've been praying for you guys. I've, I've grown in such deep affection for this community, who you are. If you're, if you're not aware, uh, my wife and I, we pastor a church um, who borrows your space at night, <clears throat> but, uh, but we, uh, we, we've just been so affected and impacted by the influence of this community in our city. And I really mean it like you've truly made our city beautiful, beautiful. And uh, I've just been so excited to have the opportunity to grow in relationship and friendship with him, but also with you guys. So I'm going to act like I'm at home, if that's okay. Um, So I'm going to do that within frame, of course, um, within this space right here. But I'll do my best. But I want to talk about what would easily be one of, it's probably the second most studied scripture in my life. And I'll say this, and if that sounds impressive, careful, because it's not that impressive. Because here's what I'll tell you the truth about myself. Yes, I'm pastoring a church. Yes, you know, me and my wife are doing this thing. We started and planning to work. But the truth is, I did not grow up in church. The truth is, is that when I tell you that I didn't grow up in church, I mean not even like Easter and Christmas services. Like, it wasn't a thing for us. My parents are amazing people. I love them. Stop judging them. But we did not go to church. It just wasn't something that we did. It it wasn't even something that necessarily told us that there was never an understanding like, hey, we don't believe this. There was just one of those things that we don't do this. Church on Sundays for us looked a whole lot like eating a big breakfast uh, breakfast together, sharing a table, going on a ride. Bobby, where we're going? Shut up, get in the car. Church. You know, (laughs) maybe some of your kids feel the same way. Hey, where are we going today? Church. Shut up, get in. Um, But we have this idea that, you know, this scripture, particularly that I'm going to get into, it impacted me. It gripped me. You know, I didn't actually start coming to church or doing or have given my life whatever language you adopt. That didn't happen until I was nearly 19 years old. There was a lot of life lived, mostly wild, you know, teenage stuff. But for the most part, I had no idea. I remember, and I share this story because when I say this scripture has like triggered and gripped me, it is something that I've founded my entire life on. And the reason why is because I could remember when I was 19 years old going to like some kind of conference, worship, something, you know, Christians, we were doing something and there was a lot of people there and they were doing like a trivia thing. 
And they're doing this trivia, and they're giving out prizes, and somebody, you know, is about to give out the prize. And from the stage, I guess they decided, like, this was the kids' portion of the prizes. And they started asking these, like, deeply profound, like, biblical questions, at least in my estimation as a 19-year-old drug addict. I was like, hold on. How does he know what John whatever and whatever verse means? And how does he even know how to find it? And I remember sitting in that space going, I don't know what's said in that book, but this four-year-old and his prize are getting on mine. I need to learn. I want to know. And I got into the scripture. And this is one of those stories that I clung on to back then and I stayed with. And it feels like, and it's perfect because it's right at the same, like what we're living in currently, because it takes place right after resurrection. Post-Jesus' post death, this happens like right after Easter. This is where we're living, right? The week after Easter. How many of you guys came last week? Whoop, whoop. All right, cool. Um, so if you caught it online, whoop, whoop. If you're just lying, keep looking straight. Um, but it was a good service. I'm telling you, it was great. Um, but this is like the week after Easter, and I think it sets us up perfectly to talk about this. Luke chapter 24, verse 13. I'm reading to you from the message translation. I'm going to read the entire passage. Yes, I'm going to read the whole story, and then we're going to dig in and flip, you know, walk in and out of it and kind of pull some things from it. But it says this in verse 13. The same day, what day? This is Easter morning. The same day, two of them were walking to the village Emmaus, about seven miles out of Jerusalem. They were deep in conversation, going over all the things that had happened. In the middle of their talk and questions, somebody say questions. Thank you. Jesus came up and he walked with them, but they were not able to recognize who he was. He asked, what is it that you are discussing so intently as you walk? And they just stood there long-faced, like they had lost their best friend. Then one of them, his name was Cleopas, said, are you the only one in Jerusalem who hasn't heard what's happened during the last few days? Verse 19 comes in and Jesus says, what has happened? They said to him the things that happened to Jesus the Nazarene. He was a man of God, a prophet, dynamic in work and in word, blessed by both God and all the people. Then our high priests and leaders betrayed him, got him sentenced to death, and crucified him. And we had our hopes up that he was the one, the one about to deliver Israel. And it is now the third day since it has happened, but now some of our women have completely confused us. Early this morning, somebody said, mm, I don't know where we're going. <laughs> Stay with me. Don't preach my message. It said, early this morning, they were at the tomb and couldn't find his body. They came back with the story that they had seen a vision of angels who had said that he was alive. Some of our friends went off to the tomb to check and, found, and, check and found it empty, just as the women had said. Imagine that. But they didn't see Jesus. Verse 25. Then he said to them, so thick-headed. Now Jesus is talking. So thick-headed, so slow-hearted. Why can't you simply believe all that the prophets have said? Don't you see that these things had to happen, that the Messiah had to suffer and only then enter his glory? Then he started at the beginning with the books of Moses and went on through all of the prophets, pointing out everything in the scriptures that had referred to him. In verse 28, they came to the edge of the village that they were headed, this place called Emmaus. He acted as if he were going on, but they pressed him. 
stay and have supper with us. It's nearly evening, the day is done. So he went in with them and here is what happened. He sat down at the table with them, taking bread, he blessed it and broke it and then gave it to them. And at that moment, open-eyed, wide-eyed, they recognized him and then he disappeared. Back and forth they talked. Didn't it feel as if fire, uh, or didn't we feel on fire as he conversed with us on the road and as he opened up the scriptures before us? Ending in the story here, we wrap up. They didn't waste a minute. They were up and on their way back to Jerusalem. They found the 11, their friends gathered together talking, and they told them, it has really happened. The master has been raised up. Simon saw him. Then the two went over everything that happened on the road and how they recognized him when he broke bread. Amen. A lot of content, right? A lot of stuff. Let's go back to verse. I'm just kidding. We're not going to go one by one. But I do want us to have all of that in there because the story is important and the details of it is where I'm going to land and keep and keep us into. Easter does not end at the empty tomb. I think we would better serve ourselves and the church community and the community of faith at large better if we stopped acting that just because we realize and we believe that he is risen that the questions and the conversations should stop. We would better serve ourselves and the church at large if we dealt with the reality that sometimes an empty tomb draws more questions than it gives us answers. I think it'd be important and even serve us better that as we, the church, those who have believed in the way and who follow this way, that if we do, we do a better job at presenting an experience and a lifestyle that leaves room for curiosity and questions as opposed to silencing them and quieting them. It'd be better for us. I think there's a more robust experience of life and of community and of faith and of spirit when we realize that even those things in us that still have questions, that those aren't the things that keep us away, but maybe, just maybe, they're the very thing that invite us into something deeper. You know, I believe that the church is intended to be a space that it's supposed to be, you know, curiosity is invited. And here's something that's hard, but tension is welcomed. See, because discipleship looks a lot less like knowing all the right answers and more like what you learn about yourself on the road to those answers. If we don't, I'm going to use someone else's words in case mine are kind of getting minced here. Rachel Held Evans says it this way. There is a difference between curing and healing. And I believe the church is called to the slow and difficult work of healing. We are, called in, uh, we are called to enter into one another's pain, anointed as holy, and then stick around no matter the outcome. Fem, this is church. This is what it means to be called to one another. It's to realize, I'm not just looking for this quick cure, although he'll do it, amen. But we have to realize that we commit ourselves to the, long, the lifelong work of healing, not a lot of people like to deal with this, and I'm one of them because guess what? I'm human, just like you. And I don't like the idea of process, and I don't like the idea of processes that take too long. I'm a little antsy. I'm, I'm a little energetic. I just want to go. I want to go. I want to move, and I want to just find a thing and then get to the thing. And then this idea of process is like slow down. I don't want to slow down. I want to go. I want to go. I want to go. I want to go. I want to do something. I want to have fun. I want to move. I want to, I want to do my thing. I just want to experience life and have adventures and slide into other pastors' DMs and ask them to hang out. Like, I just want to do my stuff. 
And I think that what this is inviting us and even reminding us is that, man, sometimes it's walking into one another's spaces, into their pain, into their questions, into their doubts even, into their confusion. And what I love that she said is that she says, anoint it as holy. I have this core value that in our community and for us and our family, we just believe it to the core of who we are. You have never locked eyes with a single person on this earth that is not valuable to God. And so the moment you make eye contact with another image bearer, it's holy. It's sacred. There's divinity being practiced between this contact, this flesh to flesh, life to life, heart on heart interaction. So it's holy and it's sacred. And then you make a decision that you stick around no matter the outcome. And now we have church. Now we have this thing that we're trusted to not only grow and further and to be an edification to the world but to one another. And the beauty and my hope for community is that we would never find ourselves too isolated from a friend on the road. We read in the scripture and we're going to kind of look at verses 13 to 24 to start off. And it says that this whole story starts off with these two friends that are walking on the road and they're going out and they're doing their thing. And it was on the same morning, the same day. Jesus just leaves an empty tomb, and on that day, they're like, I don't know what this means. I got to go on a walk. And the thing that I think is interesting is that he had to walk to this place or this town called Emmaus, and it's named by name, so we can have this, uh, we can look at this up. But Jerusalem and Emmaus, they're seven miles apart. And sometimes we blow by it because, you know, in our understanding and or in however many years you've been practicing your faith, you kind of just blow by some of the small details. One of the things that I cannot blow by is that this man, Cleopas, who is named by name, his friend, his boy, he's not. But the friend, to me, is like, you're a hero, bro. Because Emmaus is seven miles away from Jerusalem. And Seven miles doesn't feel like much with our cars and our bikes and our public transit, but seven miles on dusty roads, probably in terrible footwear like sandals, walking seven miles with a friend feels like an adventure. It feels like something you better be committed to. Hey, we're going to go, hey, man, I don't know what to do with my life. I'm just going to walk. Where are you walking to? The corner? Nah, Emmaus. Like seven miles away, Emmaus? Like, you're going to walk today, or are you going you're gonna to stretch first? You're going to eat before we go? Like, what are you going to Seven miles for me is a commitment. Seven miles for me to walk is a, a big commitment. But this friend decides to go on the walk, and I wonder sometimes, like, man, how many of us would volunteer? Seven miles, I don't know what your walking mile is. Um, but whatever your walking mile is, times seven, that, I mean, you're in there for a while. And it's giving us, it's giving us insight to what kind of walk they're going on. And the reason why we know we have that insight, because the scripture tells us that they were long-faced as if their best friend had died. So I started to think about this. I started thinking about how important community is, how important it is to have a friend who, when they see you hurting or when they see you in process or when they see you grieving or mourning, they don't start to offer anecdotes or ideas or even the right scripture to read. They're just like, I'll just walk with you. Where are we going? To Emmaus. I'm starting to think twice about this, but all right, I'm still in. Let's just walk. Okay, what's the mood like? Should I play some music? No, I'm long-faced like my best friend has died. Most of the time, we run away from these kind of interactions. We put our heads down. We kind of just say, I just wanted to give you your space. And trust me, what I've learned about grief is that, of course, you want this space, but you also want people to take up space. Ever been there? 
You know, like you tell someone, like, you never looked for me. And like, I didn't know you wanted me to look for you. You actually told me, and I don't listen to what I'm saying. <laughs> don't trust me. I don't trust myself. I needed you to take up space. What I love about deep fellowship and community being lived out is the walk is a non-factor. We are going to get through this. We're going to Emmaus. We're going to figure this out on the road. We're going to get it together. Long face as if their best friend had died. This gives us a look into what disappointment looks like. And if you'd allow me to say it this way, I think we have an issue with language around disappointment. And and here's where I'm going from. When you appoint something, if you look at the word and if you just talk about it as a very simple uh, definition, when you appoint something or someone, you're giving them position. As we have elected officials, if you have appointed officials, you have people who are chosen to occupy a space, right? So just working opposite of that when we talk about disappointment sometimes it's the people who we've appointed or the thing that we've appointed a certain uh a value or of importance in our life when we get disappointed we're taking that thing that should have been here and we're moving it away so when we have feelings of disappointment the truth is it is much deeper than we realize there's a void now in a place or in a thing or in a person that we once appointed or held up here Disappointment is not something, you know, it's funny because our language around it is like, well, I just felt a little disappointed, so what did you do? I quit. You know, it's like, well, (laughs) you're disappointed, so you quit. So, hey, I just felt a little disappointed, so what did you do? We divorced. And then, oh, I felt a little disappointed, so what did you do? I ran away. We have to fix our language around disappointment. Disappointment will lead us places, sometimes to even greater and more extremes or further extremes than we're really comfortable with dealing with. So I think that sometimes when I hear people go, why don't, you know, I have this in conversation with a lot of folks in our community because our community, like you guys, a lot of young folks, and we started talking, I'm, I'm asking students, I'm like, what, what's going on? Like, I just feel disappointed. Disappointed what? With my parents. So what did you do? I ran away. I'm like, because of your disappointment? This is real. But you're not letting your disappointment take up space and root so that we can deal with what we need to put back in that void. You know, we have a language issue because we downplay the effects of our disappointment. Think about these two men. These two men's disappointment of what they had seen in the holy city, what they had seen in Jerusalem, their disappointment that they had, they told us, we thought that he was the one. We, we, we had believed that he was everything he said he would be. And up until that cross, I believed that he was the one he said he was. Their disappointment. They're disappointed. And their disappointment leads them away from the holy city. Their disappointment leads them away from all intents. It leads them away from Jesus. And I just ask myself and you, does this feel or sound familiar? Where sometimes the disappointment from what we witness inside church actually repels us and moves us outside of church. The, the, the disappointment that we feel or in and around community actually leads us to a lonely seven-mile walk alone. And maybe, just maybe, you're lucky enough to have a friend to walk it, but many of our, our stories are that no one was willing to walk the road with us. You have to stop minimizing your disappointment in the name of faithfulness. You have to stop minimizing the thing that's happening in you, the thing that you witnessed that you wish you didn't see, the thing that literally had someone here and then now they're not and you don't know what to put back in there. Stop minimizing your humanity by finding spiritual language to cover what's going on in your heart. Fam, you're not helping yourself. 
You're not healing. You might be looking for that quick cure, but I'm inviting you into the lifelong process of healing your heart. You see, because what we see here is that these two men, in their disappointment, they walk away. And when we have churches and friends and communities who will actually decide, hey, where are you going? You're walking away. Let's walk with you. Don't go by yourself. You're going to need a friend, buddy system, somebody go and walk with them. Somebody get out there and make sure they don't stub a toe, fall off the road, get lost, whatever it is. It, yeah, they're long-faced. Yeah, they're difficult. Walk with them. Here's an invitation, church. Now I'm gonna, if some of you guys are like, I don't go to this church. Cool, I'm going to talk to people who do. Uh, here's an invitation, church. When people walk away, let's have conversation alongside them as opposed to still in the holy city talking about the ones who walk that way. It is better to have the conversation shoulder to shoulder with the ones that are walking away than it is to talk and have conversations about them and what has led them away. I think that we have to find places, coming back, we have to find places and we have to find people who are willing to do the hard work because if not, we get into these habits of having like this escapist mentality. I just want to escape. I just want to run away. But here's what I want to say to the person who has felt like running, who may be on the road themselves this morning. Sometimes the thing that seemingly leads us away becomes that which leads us into a true encounter. Sometimes the thing that has led you away from the holy place, the thing that has led you away from certain people, that has led you away from a community, has led you away from a relationship, sometimes it's the very thing that leads you away that will lead you directly into a true encounter. This does not happen without engaging the very real, the very hard, the very not-so-fun feelings because we have to deal with the reality that formation is often messy work. And without it, we lose our essence. The forming of who we are, the forming, we, we, we have this idea, right, myself included, that the things that form me are the things that make me happiest. And those are the things that we go to, and I, I do believe you, I do believe those things form us, but the truth is how many of us can recognize that it was the things that almost destroyed us <laughs> that also brought formation. It's like, how does the thing that literally try to destroy me and obliterate my existence be the very thing that's actually putting in form into my life and giving me something to grow. If not without these messy situations, without the mess that happens in our humanity, fam, what we're doing is spiritually bypassing and not dealing with what's really going on in our hearts. You know what I love about this story and as these two men are walking, as these two men are going on this road, the audacity of our boy Cleopas. <laughs> because Jesus walks up in the moment, right? Jesus, we know it as the reader. We know it as the follower, right? We know what's going on. Jesus walks in on their conversation, walks in on their walk. And I love this because, I'm, you know, my imagination goes, where'd you come from? Like, how'd you get here? Did he just, I'm here now. Like, how, how did this happen? But it's like, man, Jesus walks up on them on the conversation and says, what are y'all talking about? And I love this because it is just, it's more, it, there's more harmony and rhythm with who Jesus was um, pre-cross where he's just asking questions and it's just like, where'd you come from, bro? But he comes in and he asks the question, what are you guys talking about? And our friend Cleopas, your boy, not mine, your boy Cleopas, was so brave that he says, are you the only person in all of Jerusalem who has not heard what has happened to Jesus? 
And I'm like, Jesus is where you send the thunder. <laughs> like all of us are like, here we go, Thor Jesus, boom, lightning rod. Like this is the moment, right? Because he's clapping back at you. He's, he's, he's talking like crazy. You, you, he came out the side of his neck to Jesus. And Jesus responds, no, tell me what happened. And I love that. I love that. I love that because this is what I know. I need to know that Jesus is interested in what I'm experiencing. I need to know that he cares. Because if I know that he cares and I know that I've gained, earned, have his attention and affection, then scripture later, like in 1 Peter, when it says to cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you, I believe him. Because I don't think that as I share my anxiety, as I share my stress, as I share my disappointment, my confusion, my questions, there's nothing in me that goes, remember that last time he sent lightning and then he got weird and you know, I, I, he, he, he came out of neck at me because I came out of face to him. No, he cares for you. He holds that space for him to, and to answer the question. And the craziest part is, well, we all know. Jesus not only, like he says, are you the only one that doesn't know? Fam. Jesus could have said, I'm the only one that really knows. Where were you when I was hanging up on that cross? He doesn't. That's what you and I may have done. I would have done it. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I got a lot of lip. I'm just going to be where would you at? My mama. I'm going at him, right, in that moment. What do you mean I don't know? I know. You know, but he doesn't, and he holds space for him to share, for Cleopas to, to reveal what's going on in his heart, to give language to his disappointment. Our officials gave him up. I thought he was the one. I thought that he was the one who was going to deliver all of Israel. We believed him because of the work that he has done. We believed him because of what the prophet said. This is what I believe. And, and I was disappointed because there's an empty tomb. And you're like, hold on. Wouldn't that, we all like to believe, it's like, why can't they just get it? The Bible said it. Let's not look at it with today's mindset, right? Where we're just, that's a lot of revisionist history. They're going, I don't know who he is. I don't know where he was. They probably stole him. They're frustrated. They're disappointed. And in that moment, what I think of is that Jesus had all the opportunity, but he has held space for them. I want you to realize that even as it goes forward, what Jesus is doing is just asking questions. Come on, Cleopas, put language to what's really going on in your heart. Come on, Cleopas, tell me about why you're disappointed. And as Jesus models to us what the church should be doing with people's questions and hurts and frustrations and disappointments, Jesus is modeling. He could have easily went in and just gone for it, right? And you're like, yeah, but he's about to. He calls them thick-headed. That ain't even it. That wasn't even as much as he could do. What happens is, is I want to refer or say this to us. Sometimes the holiest thing that you can offer someone is a listening ear and space to be transparent. You know, it saddens me as a pastor. It saddens me as a Christian. It saddens me that the language surrounding the church is, well, I just can't be real there. I didn't feel like I could be myself. I didn't feel like they were going to listen to me, hear me. And here's what I've realized is that we're very good at answering questions we know the answers to. We're terrible at answering questions that are being asked. And it takes a practice. It takes a presence. It takes a grounding of who we are to stop trying to answer what we may actually even really know and just listen 
to the heart that's processing. To just stay engaged long enough to go, if they talk long enough, they'll talk themselves into their own healing. (laughs) If they talk long enough, they'll talk themselves right into that that's really gripping their hearts. This is the holiest thing. And Jesus calls them thick-headed, but I'm not even concerned about thick-headed. My mom's called me thick-headed my whole life. (laughs) Slow-hearted? What? (laughs) Not me. No way. I I feel things. I'm like, no, I I know what I'm feeling. I'm hurting. He says, why are you so slow-hearted? Couldn't you just believe what the prophets had said had to happen to the Messiah before he entered into his glory? Before we look at Cleopas and his friend and kind of, you know, look at them crazy, let's be reminded that just hours prior that Peter and John, the beloved, and Peter, the rock, that they did the same thing. They showed up to an empty tomb. And seeing an empty tomb, and I love about this story, not to get into the Easter message too much, but John gets there first because he tells us it's important. He runs there first. And as he gets there first, he leans in and he's looking. He's like, I see the linen. I see the head wrap. I see everything. Boom, got it. I know what happened here. Peter gets there and conducive to his entire life, he just barges in. Asks no questions, just barges in. I don't know what he's doing. I I assume he's pacing. He's just, linen, you know, I don't know what he's doing. But as he's going around, he doesn't understand. John does not have the bravery to step in until he sees Peter barging, right? Even when all of this happens, the scripture tells us that in the retelling of the story, they're only there because Mary told them to show up, first of all. Second of all, as they're there and they're seeing all the things, John says to us, the reader, I saw and I believed. But they could not understand all that needed to happen to the Messiah. So verse 11 in John says, they went home. Like, how did you see and believe and then go home? And what I realized there is that sometimes what we can't understand, we won't allow ourselves to truly believe. The most of the time, the thing that separates us from staying in the place that Jesus is coming to is not being able to get out of our head and stick into our heart. They saw, they believed, but they couldn't understand, so they went home. Cleopas and, and, and his friend, it's like they understood somewhat even. But Jesus is like, bro, the problem with you is you're thick-headed. You don't even understand. And two, you're slow-hearted. You won't even believe what you see. And I think that this is a message to us who had to realize that Jesus is trying to step us into this place. Because even as this whole thing goes on, this entire exchange on the road happens, Jesus' response to them is, let me learn you real quick. All right, here we go. Starting in the, the laws of Moses. I'm like, how long is this walk? Jesus goes to the beginning. And he starts talking about the laws of Moses, the Torah. He starts to bring them up in the thing that they already believe. He starts to teach them and school them on that. And he's like, he reminds them of the prophets. He starts to tell all the prophetic words about himself. He has this entire conversation. And I love this. As soon as they get to the edge of the city, Jesus says, I'm just going to keep going. He's going to leave them. And I think this is so beautiful. And I think it's beautiful because of this. I think it's beautiful because Jesus is like, I just schooled you. Now you understand. Let me just go, boop, here it is. I'm Jesus. All right, did you get that? No, he doesn't do that. He's just like, do what you will with that. And he wants, he'll he'll keep going. Because I believe so deeply that he honors their process. He's like, I'm not going to just open up your eyes right now. You still got questions. You still have doubt. They learned firsthand Bible study with Jesus himself in resurrected form. 
And he's like, y'all deal with that how you deal with it. All right, I'm going to keep going. I'm like, where are you going, Jesus? Do the thing. And this is, what, this is a message or this is just a, a, a side note for those of us who are frustrated because it just feels like, Jesus, you know you could tell me. You know you could just do what you do. Do the thing. Do the Jesus thing. And Jesus is like, you have all the information that you need. You've, it, you've learned. You've heard. You've been in my presence. You got to process that and walk that out now. And this is frustrating it's frustrating to me, I don't know about for you, because I'm like, you know you could do it. And he says that he would move on. He said he would just keep on going, and it's them. Now it goes from where they had questions, where they maybe even doubted, maybe they were disappointed. They're moving into that space that I told you about at the very beginning. Now they're curious. Fam, stop demonizing people who feel doubtful or have questions because they may be the very gift of curiosity that our communities need. They might be the very people that God has sent into our spaces so that we can go, why do you think like that? <laughs> Where'd that come from? What is your life experience that leads you to that? <laughs> you know, whatever. But I think that that curiosity, again, I'm calling it holy. Because that curiosity was what triggered them to ask Jesus, why, why don't you stay with us? Stick around. Stay with us. It, it's, it's late. Where are you going to walk to? You just popped up out of nowhere. You got nowhere to go. I know it. <laughs> Come with us. Let's eat. Let's have this meal. And then they do. Jesus is like, all right, fine. I guess I'll come. You, know? <laughs> you ever had that friend who kind of lingers? And you're like, you want to come inside? All right, I guess I'll come inside. <laughs> or when there's food around, they kind of linger around the table. Like, man, that's a lot of food. <laughs> you want to eat? I'm hungry. I can eat, right? Man, Jesus is there, and he just kind of lingers. I think he knows. He's like, I think I, think I got them. I think they're curious now. I think their doubts moved into curiosity, and that's a good place to be. And when they asked, they said, would you stay with us? They do. And I think it's important to hear this. Jesus sits, and they have a meal. And of all the teaching that he did on the road, and here's just my opinion, I think Jesus could preach. I think Jesus could preach and teach and do his thing. And I, I just got a feeling that as he was going through the Torah, as he was starting to talk about the Old Testament prophets talking about him, that he was just putting it on, like just schooling them. But they still didn't even know who he was. But until they had a meal together, when he had this meal together, he starts to take the bread. And as he breaks it, it says that immediately, wide-eyed, oh, they recognize him. Then he disappears. <laughs> like, Jesus! stay let's eat bread like stay together like let, just be here i want to tell everybody about this like just be here with me stay with me and what i think it's super telling church they recognize who jesus was when they saw him break bread when they saw him have this meal when he slowed down when they were reminded of the stories and the experiences of jesus's last supper and of the passover he was reminded that when they break bread and i just wonder and would like to suggest to us that maybe just maybe the doubtful disappointed curious and confused people are just waiting for the church to look like the church and to do something that reminds them that, oh, he is who I think he is. Then maybe it wasn't in the eloquence of his speech. Maybe it wasn't even in the details of his message and prophetic words. But maybe it was in the simplicity of doing something that felt like Jesus. 
And I just wonder, in this time, in this moment in our history where we have so many people walking away from the holy city, our congregations, our holy places, when we have so many people walking away because of the disappointment that they experience and witness inside of the church, hello, that that has led them out onto the road. And maybe, just maybe, it won't be our great preaching. Maybe, just maybe, it won't be our great songs. Maybe, just maybe, it'll be the church looking like the church. that They'll go, oh, I see it now. It's familiar again. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was broken, you restored me. When I was in captivity, you set me free. When I had nothing, you filled my cup. When I was naked, you clothed me. Did he not say... What you do to the least of these, you have done unto me. And I just wonder if we have a generation of people out on the road just waiting for the church to break bread so that their eyes could be open, wide-eyed, and go, oh, my God. That's that thing that I can't describe. That's that feeling that I can't get over. It's that thing that I can't unsee. I need and want more of that. And then Jesus disappears. He has to, because his gift was that if I don't leave you, you'll get stuck. This is just true about who we are. We'll make a monument of that moment. We'll build a church at Emmaus. We'll create a huge congregation at Emmaus. We'll break bread every week. We'll do the exact same thing over and over. And Jesus is like, I'm not inviting you into a monument. I'm inviting you to a movement. Want this thing to now if your curiosity or your, your doubt and disappointment that's moved to curiosity, now it moves into what they say themselves. They wasted no time. They had to go back and tell their brothers. I'm wondering, as I wrap up, is that in this generation that seems like so many people are walking away, where so many people are out on the road, perhaps. Instead of trying to just wait on them coming back into the city, maybe we should be having meals on the road. Maybe we should sit in people's disappointment and pain. Maybe we should listen to what they're processing, what they're feeling. Maybe we should just make room for them to be beautifully human so that maybe, just maybe, God's divinity can be invited in when we break bread together. Fam, I believe in my whole heart that this entire moment in our history is almost being defined by people who are deconstructing and on, on, uh, in process and are looking through and are doubting things that they've believed their whole life. I'm convinced Cleopas and his friend believed these things their whole lives. But when they felt disappointment, it led them away. So why are we confused by people who feel like, I don't know if I have the space or attention or even the ability to stick it through with church maybe just maybe what we're being invited to just like Jesus was is to become a friend on the road who says whether you come inside or you come back or not let's just eat here let's believe that wherever you pull up because remember we said wherever you lock eyes with another person that space becomes holy what if there you decide let us partake in the goodness of our God together let's break bread fam my prayer for you that you would be people who'd be willing to walk the seven-mile road. That you, the person in this room who has questions and doubts and disappointments, that you feel seen, known, and heard right now. Not just by me, not by the person to the left and to the right of you, but that you would have the very thing that seemingly has led you away. He'll just show up on the road 
And when you see him do the thing that reminds you of his goodness and of his person, may we, the church, have our arms wide open to welcome you home. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.